And so it begins. In such a noisy, crowded world, how do we find our lanes? How do we mine our pain points for their most beautiful lessons? How do we use our talents to create the change we still believe in? Welcome to The School for Disruptors, a weekly podcast hosted by Drs. Kimberly McLawn and Sarah Goulish. Each episode dives into real, vulnerable conversations about self-awareness, self-definition, and of course, all kinds of disruption. Let's find our audacity. Let's bloom. Okay, so you want to go first with, with, this, with our new um, segment? Yeah, so we're starting a new segment in each episode of season two called Temperature Check, where Kimberly and I just check in with each other. We regularly talk about highs and lows in business, in life, in teaching, and all those things. So we'll each be sharing a win and a struggle. So should Struggle's we start with- real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we got to keep it real every week. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start with a win. Yeah, let's start with a win. What's a win for you this week? Oof, okay. A win for me this week would be in my family life, I'd say. Um, We had some hard family stuff come up and I feel like I was able to put a lot of stuff off of my plate and just be present for my family in a way that I needed to be. And that felt like a win because I don't think I've always been able to do that. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I think for me, a win this week was we just started um, in my role as councilwoman, our first police commission. And this is the first time that I've chaired a committee. Like I've served on committees, but I've never chaired a committee. So we had our first meeting this week of of the police commission. And I felt really successful that I thought of like I ran a clean meeting and I got so much like unsolicited good feedback and like we're moving at a good clip. And so I was like, look at that. Look at look at me leading in this realm. This is so cool. That's so, amazing. Yeah. And yeah. you've been talking about that for a while. So that's really encouraging for me to hear. Yeah, it was really, everybody was really, I mean, not that they wouldn't be supportive, but I think that, you know, whenever we're trying something new, it's always hard and, and to feel like you pulled it off. That's, that's a win. It is a win. It's a really good feeling. Congratulations. Well, thank you, love. What, what about you? What's the struggle? What's, what's the struggle this week? Oh my word. I just told you my struggle before we started recording. I don't know how to run a business. (laughs) So that's I, not, I, I'm going to push back on that. I don't think that that's true. Okay. I'm being unkind to myself. I, there are aspects, I'll try to reframe this. There are aspects about running a business that have a steep learning curve for me because I am a trained music educator. I'm not a trained entrepreneur, which I guess being an entrepreneur, you learn on the job anyway, but I have to do our taxes today. And um, we're basically like a team of one. <laughs> You know, we have other people in the team. My brother does a lot. Um, my sister and we have a office person, but in terms of like the finances and the money managing, it's me. So um, I, ha- yeah, figuring all that out has been hard. I feel like it's been another full-time job. So that's a struggle. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I've learned my lesson and I'm going to pass it off to someone else this year. So I'm, I'm excited for that. This is the last time. This is the last time. <laughs> the last time. Yeah. Um, you're, and, and you and you're going to get through it. Like yeah. that's what we always look at these things that feel like mountains and they are mountains and then you climb them and then it's over. So, you know, it'll, you, it has to be over by April 15th, as it were. So <laughs> it has to, there is a date, there's a date. So it's going to end. Yeah. But, um, let's see a struggle this week. 
getting i'm not gonna lie this week i mean i slept really well last night but i felt like going into this week getting enough sleep was was really a struggle and i think part of it is like i really like taking late night baths like when i say late night i mean like i will get in the bathtub at 10 30 and that means i'm not getting in bed till like 11 30 12 and that's late so i've got the my my struggle is like how do i better manage my time so that i can still get the self-care that allows me to shed some of the the stress of like my day but still allows me to get enough sleep and that's just that's just a little bit of a struggle this week yeah have so what shifted that was you know building up your time in the evening so you weren't getting in the bath so late it's just my my um commitments yeah my commitments are just um yeah there's just yeah there's lots of commitments and so just trying to tend to the commitments means that my days are typically they're long as is and so yeah that's just it's a struggle yeah you know what was interesting this past week when I was talking about my win being present for my family I canceled all of my evening commitments Mm. for the week. And I usually have a lot. I'd say there's one night per week where I don't have an evening commitment. And it was so nice. It was so nice. (laughs) And I can't do that every week if I want to run the business, but it made me think maybe every fourth week, can I block that off? So every fourth week of the month, can I block it off? Um, there's other reasons why once a week per month would be helpful (laughs) because once a week per month, I am not very, you know, productive, productive for certain hormonal reasons. But I was thinking, what if I could just block off a week and even if, you know, stuff comes up and I have to do it, but I don't intentionally schedule extra things that I don't need to be doing. Um, so I'm going to try it. I think that it's it's worth a try. Even if you get it down to like you take off three nights in the week versus like the whole week, just like a significant reduction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm rooting for you. If you want to do the whole week, I am low-key jealous, but you do that. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be successful. So be jealous once it's successful. <laughs> well, success is a really relative thing. So we got, you know, I think that that's something to keep in mind too. I think if you want to make it successful, oh, girlfriend, you can make it successful. Yeah. You're right. So in today's episode, we're talking about the word pleasure. Pleasure, a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. I like that definition. I like that definition too. Because when you told me back in season one that you wanted to do an episode on pleasure... I started blushing immediately. <laughs> I think there's something about that word and the way it's used. It's it's used, I think, in advertising in ways that are so um, not, uh, let's say, not nuanced. It's used in very specific ways that I think, you know, kind of water down what the term can mean. And I think you have a more beautifully nuanced and robust view of this word and what it means. I do. I totally agree that the word pleasure has been so hijacked by marketing to only be associated with feelings of like unhealthy, unbalanced lust that we, that for those of us who are trying to figure out how to live in the world with more balance, it doesn't, doesn't work. But I I think that that's a, that that's a misnomer. And I think that my understanding about pleasure was recently elevated when I started reading Adrienne Marie Brown's book, Pleasure Activism, which is a collection of like essays and interviews with some sharp ass women who are talking about 
how much being able to show up in life, being able to understand our power as particularly as women, um, being able to, to just kind of run the marathon that, that activism is, requires, is about staying in touch with our relationship with pleasure and not allowing other people to dictate what that will be for us and not allowing ourselves to just like surrender to like not pursuing it. I bought this book for a friend, but I've yet to read it yet. <laughs> I actually bought it for you. I'm like, you would really enjoy this. And you go, I already read that. <laughs> so I gave but it you to know someone. me so well, but you know me so well. That made me happy. Yeah. Shout out uh, to Adrian Marie Brown. She just got engaged this week. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll tag her in this episode and link to the book as well. Um, yeah, so let's talk, let's unpack pleasure and sort of our our histories with the term or, and even histories with allowing ourselves the idea of pleasure. So for you growing up, what do you think that meant as a kid? Like what was your, and as a young person, an adolescent, like what was your relationship with pleasure? What did that mean to you? I think that it oftentimes, and it's still, it's this, and I think as I, as I think about this, it means the same thing. It kind of always meant freedom. It meant like stepping into a space where like I was able to behave, make decisions in ways that were really self-directed out of an act, a desire to be self-possessed. Um, and I think that what that looked like changed, like as a little, little kid, pleasure was spending time in Chuck E. Cheese in the balls in Chuck E. Cheese, right? I was not <laughs> expecting that and I love it so much. <laughs> and then, I mean, that, you know, that's like a prior to 10. And then, and then as I got to be like a preteen, it was I found a lot of pleasure in performing, like as a, as a poet, like I would read other people's poetry and do these dramatic presentations of them. And that brought me a lot of pleasure. And then I discovered myself and I discovered, you know, other things, alcohol, you know, a romance, attraction, affection. And then that was that, that still stayed with me. I'm still really much like those things. <laughs> You're like, that's still where I'm at. Yeah, that's still where I'm at. I mean, but I like other things too. What about you? Um, it's funny when you talked about Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> and performing, it brought some stuff back in me. I think about when I'm hearing you talk about this idea of like transcendence, like things that are truly pleasurable can take us out of our human condition. As a musician, music has always been that for me. And I can think of experiences both as an audience member at a concert or as a performer, like you were talking about, where especially with other people, right? That making music in a group with other people, all doing the same thing at the same time, just some really transcendent experiences. I can think about, um, I used to go to this music camp in the summers. It wasn't band camp, <laughs> it was music camp. Um, and it was at this like small college in Langhorne, Pennsylvania called Shaky. And we had a concert every Saturday. So it was a sleepaway camp, but then our families would come in on Saturday for these concerts. And the, um, I don't know if you've heard the, the scripture before, the Lord bless you and keep you. It's like a blessing. Um, and so there was this choir arrangement for this blessing that they would have the choir sing to end every concert. But because most of the people in the audience were former campers or family members or campers or people who had come to these concerts year after year, everyone knew it. Mm -hmm. And so everyone would stand in a circle in this big concert hall and sing like this six part harmony. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. And, and I, 
I still like when I think about that feeling that I had listening to that song and whenever I hear those words I'm immediately brought back to that so yeah I think music holds a lot of pleasure for me I think it still does um I think connection friendship like you talked about um romance all of the things that you mentioned I love adventure travel yeah but as a kid for sure music performing that was that was my jam that's where I where I found so much joy and I think that that is a word that is synonymous with pleasure is joy mm-hmm. um I think that um you know I think as particularly as women in a culture that tells us that we sh- I mean and this is I think this is shifting I mean pretty radically pretty rapidly like as in like the last five ten years maybe um, there's more there's more space for women to articulate what it is that that we want what it is that we what we we find pleasurable I think more and more women are taking ownership over exploring what brings them a sense of joy a sense of pleasure and I think that that's hopefully making for healthier relationships like in all the ways like platonic relationships asexual relationships and sexual relationships as you know, I think as people are better able, as women are better able to understand themselves, as we get the sense of who we are and what we want and what we don't like, I think it just, it makes, it makes the way that we present in the world more authentic. And that's why I think it's so, I think it's so important that we, we begin this, this new season with this idea of really making it clear that we, we should be centering, I think, our lives and, and being vulnerable about what feels good to us and and so that we can we can find this this other way of living that has much more freedom than I think the ways in which we're we're conditioned to live. Makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering for you, you know, you're speaking as a woman and what society is telling you about these things. Was there a time in your life that you can point to where you felt like you were not allowed pleasure? And maybe it's been pervasive throughout time, but I don't know, you know, if you can kind of pinpoint a time where if you look back, you think like, I really was in it. I didn't feel like anyone was giving me permission. Yeah, I think that there were two. And I think that they're related as a little girl growing up Muslim. My parents converted to Islam when I was five. It wasn't so much that that inherently. I mean, I do think that the monotheistic traditions generally try to try to encourage us humans and, and that, how that plays out in like the rules for women is, is unique in each of the faiths, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. But I think that, that there's a, a real sense of, of like, of trying to, particularly in Islam, silence your own sensuality. Like that is part of what covering is, you know, wearing a scarf is about one and an inward way, you know, preserving your own sense of modesty, which is in some ways like checking your sense of being free in the world. And then there's this other way where you're like being mindful of the gaze that you're attracting from outside of yourself. So trying to remove yourself from being seen as an object of pleasure through this veil. So growing up with that, I think that that, for, you know, I covered until I was like 15 and then my parents got divorced and I discovered my dad was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be a cheerleader. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but prior to that, it was very much so about like, you know, just like self-control. And, and that rolled over into my first marriage where it was just like, okay, my, what I, what I enjoy, what I do will be filtered through your, your, the lens of your permission. And that was super unhealthy. And that lasted for a long time. 
what about you? How did that work out for you? Like what, what, what has that transition been? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's been like a clear, I feel like you, you've had these past experience, like an, a, a true unveiling of yourself, literally. Um, yeah, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. Um, I think the church really falls short in talking about bodies, you know, the, the, and, and I don't think, you know, as a Christian, I do believe that there's a lot of, um, beauty and honoring of the body, even in scripture. And I felt like in the community I grew up in, it was very much, it was just all about what you shouldn't be doing. It's very legalistic. And so I think I grew up with this feeling that bodies are inherently bad and that, um, you've achieved, you know, ultimate holiness. If you can completely detach yourself from your body and how messed up that is. And I think I've heard this from a lot of people who have grown up in that tradition is that it, it stays with you. You know, there's some, there's a lot of like unlearning that has to happen, but if you were told that for the majority of your life growing up, then you have kind of a messed up view of your body. Um, and so I think for me, it, it even shows up in like freedom and dancing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just like freedom in like, just being who I am, being in my body, feeling comfortable with myself, um, feeling comfortable about how like I move through the world and how I present through the world. And um, it's something that actually doing circus has helped with. So doing aerials and like feeling like the strength in my body, feeling um, all the beauty that belongs in my body that I used to feel shamed of. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty complicated. It is complicated. And I, and I totally agree with you that like having a, a, a childhood that was just like inundated with negative messages about body, it, 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 it encourages you because it produces shame to give up your own sense of like just being fully alive. And I know, and I think about this too, it's not, it's not, I mean, it is really, it's a pleasure and it's not, it's about bodies in general. You know, in Islam, when a girl is on her period, she can't pray. Like she is, she's not supposed to pray. And so that idea of, of feeling like there were these, these, you know, a quarter of the time, a quarter, you know, of my life, basically, you know, I was set up to not to not do other things, but just to disconnect myself from even my relationship with God in ways mm -hmm. because of my body. That, that did impact for a long time how I, how I saw being like, and, and so much of pursuing pleasure is about your relationship with being. Um, and, I, and I do think that, that that's why I think these conversations are so important to have because, you know, like we, we have to, like you, I use, love how you use that word unlearning. We have to address the conditioning that we've been given so we can arrive at something better. And I just, and what the way that particularly pleasure activism sets up this notion of pursuing pleasure as being so central to, to being able to, to show up for yourself, to being able to show up for other people as it, it's like, it is the foundation on which you're able to navigate a lot of suffering is by really staying in touch with that feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the unlearning idea is so interesting because it's not something that I think a lot of us would think that we have to unlearn is our relationship with body. I think there's more and more public conversation about bodies in general and um, 
the beauties in body. But I think, you know, you talked about before is this idea of freedom and pleasure. And that is a place where I think a lot of us feel a lack of freedom. Um, and we feel like inhibited by bodies instead of freed by them for whatever it might be in whatever setting we're talking about. And I think that idea, like pursuing that is a really beautiful thing. Um, it also makes me think about, you know, how many of us probably don't even know what brings us pleasure. We probably haven't even allowed ourselves to really experience even simple joys, like silly things. I mean, I think about this with drawing with my kids. You know, we've been doing these drawing videos the past couple of weeks. It's been so much fun and it's brought me so much joy. And I wouldn't be doing it aside from the fact that my kids wanted to do it. And so I also don't think we have a lot of time built in to pursue simple pleasures and figure out what we do enjoy and how it might've changed since we were kids. Especially not in this culture, especially not in this moment. I mean, it seems as though it would be so um, intuitive to be, particularly as we are, you know, instilled very much so in this pandemic to be thinking about the simple pleasures. But I don't think we, we, I don't think it's made easy for us. There's not a whole lot of accessible coaching into like, how do you discover pleasure in 30 days, right? Like that kind of thing. Like yeah. day one is like, I find something like that's drinkable that brings you pleasure, right? And then really like experience that. Like for me, I know that's a vanilla soy latte. Like I'm trying to break up with all my milks, but for right now, the vanilla soy latte is bringing me a lot of pleasure. I'm an oat milk girl, so. Are you? <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. I hate cow's milk. Yeah. I don't drink it for a, for a couple of different reasons. It's not that I hate it though. It's like, actually I okay. have to, like, it's resistance. Like I have to be like, don't do it, Kimberly. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan, but it's, uh, yeah. Keep going. So day one is. Day one is like, <laughs> yeah, what would be that hot drink? And then maybe day two is like, what's your favorite natural bloom? Right. And it's like, you know, go to a florist or find pictures online and study that, that flower. So right now for me, like as we enter into spring, it, it makes me so happy to just think that daffodils are about to emerge. Like that to me is just like, I'm, we're almost there. Like I am everywhere I go, I'm looking to see like, where are we daffodils? How, how far are we three quarters way up? Are we halfway up? What are we doing? So what, what's your favorite bloom? I don't have one. Now you're saying this. I'm like, ah, I don't have one. And that's okay. I just think, I think flowers while there's like this really poetic fragility to them, they are such a burst of like, of just easy, self-sufficient life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, that there's so much pleasure in observing things that are able to live with some self-sufficient ease and flair, right? Yeah. And, and I think flowers are just beautiful models of that way of, of being in the world. I do love that you're talking about flowers because I do think that's an area of pleasure for me lately. Um, I've taken my daughter, she, she went grocery shopping with my husband and realized they had flowers at the store oh, and was fun. like, let's pick out flowers for the week. Let's pick out flowers for the, for her mom. So the next week I took her and she, it was like a tradition to her, right? Okay. We got to get our flowers first. Um, and for me, that always felt indulgent. Like, why am I going to spend money on something that's going to die? But it brings you so much joy to have fresh flowers in your house. So that week we were there she, she saw the roses and she, and I'm not a rose girl. That's a bloom. I'm not, you know, I'm not a big, this just wouldn't be my first choice. I like wildflowers. Um, 
So she really wanted these red roses, like a dozen red roses. <laughs> and I was like, Demi, let's pick something out. I kept trying to turn away. And she's like, but, yeah, it was Demi Jean. But she's like, I love the red ones so much. They're my favorite. They're just so beautiful. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to get the roses. We're going to take them home. And she was just every day someone came into our house and she would be like, look at our roses. We have red roses, you know? Um, and it changed. So the last few times I've gone food shopping, I've gotten flowers. Cause I'm like, yeah, this is, this brings us joy in our family to have flowers on the table. And it's not always just about what brings us individual joy. Like I find so much pleasure in that idea of doing what you're committing to, which is investing in someone else experiencing pleasure. You know, like I, and I think that that's another way that we can frame our relationship with joy is about producing it, like being intentional about making an effort to produce it for people who either we love and we want to give them that out of an act of love or people who we know need it. Like, it doesn't have to be about someone that I personally love. It's like, I, we, you know, I have a, I have someone who I know and they just experience a really significant and deep personal loss. And every day this week, I thought like, what is this thing I'm going to do? I want to do something for this. And I haven't done it yet. And I feel so, and, and that's uh, next week, my win is going to be that I tended to that person's grief um, as a way of, of creating maybe some pleasure for them. And also by, by extension, some pleasure for myself. And that's, and that's such a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And it takes effort to really know those simple pleasures that people love. It and does. Then, and then going out of your way to make them happen, just like we want others to do that for us. Um, can you take me to like a pleasure place? So like, if you were to close your eyes and you would be in some space in the world, what would it sound like? What would it smell like? So a pleasure place, a place where if I were to imagine, oh my goodness. Like if you could just escape Pennsylvania yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. where would that <laughs> maybe be? Maybe not, but where, yeah, where like describe the sight, the sound. So it doesn't have to be a march? No, no, you can change. You can change. It's like cool fantasy land. I can do whatever I want to do. This is fantasy land. Um, that's super easy then. I would, I really want to, so this is a place I've never been. And I'm oftentimes, I think about, you know, you mentioned travel. I think for, for me sometimes so much, and this is for all of us, I believe, novelty. There's so much pleasure in doing something that you haven't done before. Um, so when I hear that question for me, it's like, I really imagine myself in Southern France, like right now, like this is the first thing that comes to my mind. It is July. I am near a monastery where they cultivate lavender. And I have a bottle of champagne and I have a board of, of like a, like a, maybe three or four cheeses that are produced super locally and like two or three different kinds of breads. And I am sitting in a field of lavender and it's about 83 degrees. And I, there's like really very few people and there's a nice gentle breeze. And I have my champagne and my cheese and my bread and the, and I can see the lavender kind of just like swaying in the wind. That to me is like, oh yes, that's right. That is, that is pleasure. It's like, so it's so sensual. I am there. I love it. <laughs> this is so fun. Do you know that my brother lives at a former monastery? I did not know that, but it doesn't surprise me. If he has lavender, then I'm moving in. Okay. I think he has lavender. We might, David, if you're listening, it's happening in a couple months. David, we are coming. <laughs> We're coming. We're coming. <laughs> yeah. It's... What about you? What's that magical mystery place? But also I'm just thinking now, like it's crazy that 
some of our magical places are just people's places, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And and like, that's true with us, you know, like the place that we occupy is someone else's dream, dream place, novel, right? It's, that's why it's so special. It's novel. Um, okay. I'm not going to think about a place I haven't been before. I'm going to go back to a place I have been before. I'm going to go back to Greece. So I'm also going to Europe and there is something, okay. The Island of Corfu, that's where I'm taking you. We're in the summer. It's not too hot yet. It's perfect. And we are laying on the beach. We're reading a book. It's an empty beach. It's a rocky beach. It's a wild beach. And you can see boats in the distance. And the water is like this perfect, clear, green, blue color. And you're sipping an espresso from the little hut that's up on the beach where people stay all day and just, you know, drink their coffee and then they move to their metaxa or whatever Greek drink they're drinking. And we have nowhere to go. We are just hanging out all day. That idea of having nowhere to go evokes so much pleasure in me. (laughs) I think that's the best part of vacation. I think that's what I miss most about vacationing in this moment is that not being rushed to get anywhere. Yeah, it would be great if we could like copy that pleasure mindset into our day to day, you know, because there are days where we could give ourselves nowhere to go and we could allow ourselves that pleasure, but it would require a lot of work. It would require some upfront work, um, but I do think that it's, it is the highest, it's one of the highest pursuits. It's not the highest pursuit, Mm -hmm. but I think that moving away from, you know, from, and so this isn't about like addictive behaviors, right? And, and, and that's not to say that, I mean, people, we all have all had experiences with intoxicants. So this isn't even, and this is one thing that, you know, Adrienne Marie doesn't do is she doesn't, she's actually very upfront about her own, her own affinity for, for things that are illicit and things that are not like that. That's a part of how she seeks pleasure. And she's very upfront about that. Um, I do think that we all have to figure out what our balance is, but I do think that knowing, cultivating an understanding of what brings us joy is the way that we're going to be able to sustain ourselves in all the work that we do. And I, and I agree with you, whether we can take a whole day to pursue pleasure or not, I really hope that we're better able, um, and that maybe this pandemic has given us some breathing room to think about how we can, you know, just move a little slower at some points in our lives, you know, and, and some points in our days, like that that long bath that I take at night, it's all about pleasure. Like that's a part of the reason why I stay up late to get it in is because it's, it produced, it's so provocative a pleasure for me, the bubbles and the candles and the sage I burn, like all of that is so pleasurable. Um, and we can't feel guilty about that. It also makes me think that everything you're describing is just experiencing our senses to the fullest. And so if we took the opposite of that, a lack of pleasure would be a dulling of the senses and a dulling of the experiences of life. And I love that we're doing this as our first episode, because I feel like a lot of us are coming out of a year where everything has been dulled, you know, our sights, we haven't been able to leave the places we've been in, the sounds, the smells, the, the novelty of experience has been shrunk into a very groundhog day existence. And so finding pleasure takes a lot of work to cultivate it in the spaces we occupy because we can't get out of those spaces. 
and a lot of emotional um, fortitude, you know, like, I think for someone who's really sitting in a period of deep sadness, it's probably incredibly hard to figure out where there, what joy even feels like anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think that I hope that what this conversation gives people is a reminder that, you know, that pleasure doesn't have to cost a lot of money, right? That pursuing pleasure doesn't have to be about, you know, having the best of anything, certainly not of everything. It's a, it's a mind, a mindset shift to, to really figuring out how to celebrate the little wins in the day, right? That are oftentimes very sensual, like that first sip of your coffee in the morning, taking a little bit longer to linger in it. You know, that that sitting in the shower and, and maybe either building in an extra three minutes on the front end or the back end to just stand still. Um, those, are, those are pathways to reactivating, to reconnecting, to reestablishing our own experience of, of, as you said, being in our bodies, and of, of building in time to, to just be a little bit indulgent. And, and, that, and again, that's not, about, that's not necessarily about money. It's about an effort to, to really just act with a little bit of, of emotional indulgence. So how are you, I know that we aren't to what we tell the kids yet, but how does that play out in your family life and with you know, the people you surround yourself with? I think that means for me, it means like on Saturday, the weekend is week is so crazy for me. Like I, my days are very crazy and, and that's, and I'm happy with that. That, that bring, actually, it brings me a lot of pleasure. I mean, it makes me tired most days, but it, it also brings me a lot of, a lot of fulfillment, but Saturday nights, they are, that's, that's like, it's either like me and my partner and it's just the two of us watching a movie, ordering takeout, doing some dancing, you know, whatever we, whatever we're, whatever we're, whatever we stumble into, or it's us having family time where it's like the three of us playing truth or dare and likely ordering takeout <laughs> and um and and then like sharing something that's delicious between us in, in really like intimate ways so so yeah that's that's how I work it in how are you working it in these days I heard something I think it was on a, one of Brene Brown's podcasts is talking about um identifying common threads of fun or pleasure within your family mm -hmm. and sort of having that like toolkit of here's how we have fun together. So maybe I have my thing that I like, that's just me, but here are the intersections that we all have in common. And we've discovered a few over this past year because of quarantine. Um, and a lot of it has to do with music and of performing, of course. Yeah, of course. And so <laughs> just like this past week, We'll have like dance competitions where love. like each person does a routine. That's ridiculous. And I love it, it is so ridiculous. And um, my husband just installed like rings hanging from our basement ceiling and a swing in the basement. There's like, it's a jungle gym down there. So fun. it's really fun. So, and we live in the city. We don't have a yard. So it's like kind of where our kids play. So this past week we had a, um, I'm just laughing thinking about it. We had like a performance competition where each person picked their song and then did like a routine on all of the different jungle gym equipment. Hilarious. And it was so hilarious. But um, just talking about pleasure, it's like, those are the things where I just drink up those moments. Like we're all laughing. It looks ridiculous. We're in our bodies. We're free. There's freedom there. And we're just having fun. And a lot of those 
things like that, I don't think we would have discovered had we not been stuck together for the That's right. And when I think about, you know, what do we tell the kids about pleasure? I think about showing them how through modeling, we, we, we walk them through what that can look like just through our own kind of careful curation of, of experiences. And then, and then with them, engaging them in conversation and developing their own language around talking about joy, around talking about enjoyment, um, which is ultimately talking about pleasure. And I, and I think that we also have a, a, a chance as parents particularly as our kids get older, to help them have a positive relationship with the word pleasure, recognizing that if they're women, young women, talking about pleasure sets them up to be able to be freer in their bodies, to be have healthier relationships with sex and sexuality. And if we do that with boys, we also give them space to have the same, right? And so I think it's so important just to give them healthy relationships as adults to be able to talk about pleasure. What do you think we should tell the kids? Yeah, that similar to what you said, I think that pleasure is not a bad word. <laughs> that pleasure in and of itself is the pursuit of the full experience of what it means to be human. I think that um, true pleasure will come through deep connection with ourselves and others and cheap pleasure will always leave us unfulfilled. And that's a word right there, that's a word. <laughs> So identifying what is cheap pleasure and what is true lasting pleasure is something I hope we can model for the kids. I hope we can talk with them about, and I hope we can empower them to make discoveries themselves as well. I love you, Sarah. Talking to you. I love you too. So much pleasure. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> now I'm going to go uh, look up some flowers. Yeah. Let's Google search. Do that. Do that. Do that. School for Disruptors is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's engineered and produced by us with music by the work O'Shea. You can catch up with O'Shea at It's Pronounced O'Shea on Instagram. And you can catch up with us there at School for Disruptors. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, recommendations, or just want to tell us what stood out to you about the show, please send us an email, theschoolfordisruptors at gmail.com. And thanks for being here.